0: Here's Randy.
1: Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your talk show host, Randy Fine. According to RAIN, which is the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, a sexual assault occurs every 73 seconds in the United States. For victims of sexual assault, the effects can be long term with the likelihood of suicide, depressive thoughts, and or PTSD symptoms increasing after an assault. Yet, the majority of victims do not report their rapes, and the majority of assailants will not be brought to justice. For every 1,000 assaults, 995 perpetrators will not serve jail or prison sentences. Today's special guest, Karen Stefano, knows these statistics too well as both the victim of an assault and as a lawyer. As she was working on her book, What a Body Remembers, she was shocked by how many other women shared with her that they too had been victims of assault. And they would share their own story, and that simple act of sharing would unburden them. I believe Stefano explains. Karen chronicles the journey to reclaim her life after her sexual assault in her memoir. And the memoir is What a Body Remembers. As a 19-year-old sophomore at UC Berkeley in 1984, she leaves her job as a uniformed campus police aide, walks home alone in darkness, and is assaulted by a man at knife point. Karen Stefano is a J.B. MBA with more than 20 years of complex litigation experience, and has written extensively on the topics of sexual assault and the criminal system, justice, justice system. She has the unique experience of having lived inside the criminal justice system from virtually every angle, working in law enforcement, a district attorney's office, and for a federal judge as a victim of sexual assault, of having once been nearly charged with a felony herself And years later, seemingly, paradoxically, becoming a criminal defense attorney. So this should be super interesting, guys. Okay. Um, Let me introduce her to you so we can hear her point of view. Good morning, Karen, and welcome.
0: Thank you so much, Randy, for having me on the show. It's an honor.
1: Oh, it is mine as well. Thank you for being my guest. Karen, you have um an interesting story, but I want to start with what um if you don't mind, what happened the night of your um abuse?
0: Uh, sure. Uh, so, and this is something obviously that I that I chronicle early in the book. So I'm not giving anything away here, but uh, I was a 19 year old sophomore at the University of California at Berkeley, and I worked for the campus police department, and I was a police aide, and it was. A, a unique job. I wore a full police uniform. The only thing that identified me as not being a, a sworn peace officer was a tiny patch underneath my police seal on the, on the top of my uniform that said aid. I had a police radio. I had a, uh, all the accoutrements except the gun. My job was to patrol the campus and surrounding areas, uh, calling in any suspicious activity, and also escorting women home uh, to safety. It's a, it's a dangerous uh, campus and a dangerous city uh, with with a lot of criminal activity, and so women could uh, call a a phone number, and then I and other police aides would be dispatched to go meet them at the library and escort them home to their apartment, whatever. So on the night of my assault, I had finished a shift, uh, gone into the police locker room, changed out of my police uniform and into my uh, 19-year-old sophomore clothes of a sweatshirt and jeans and my lavender backpack. And around midnight, uh, I walked home alone in darkness to my off-campus apartment, and just as I was turning into the hallway leading into the apartment building, I heard the sound of footsteps, like someone someone jogging lightly. And I turned around uh, to look and assess this person. I saw uh, a man, and I didn't think anything of it. I mean, it's, it's midnight, it's Berkeley, you know, there's all kinds of students out. Someone just kind of racing down the sidewalk was no big deal. So I turned around and continued my uh, path to reach my apartment, and then I heard the footsteps change course. And uh, I spun back around, and my eyes locked with this man, and that's when I saw the knife in his hand. And in seconds, uh, he grabbed me, and uh, we spun me around, put the knife to my throat, uh, put his hand over my mouth, and we struggled. And uh, my backpack dropped. Uh, that's not what he was not what he was after uh there as we struggled, I felt him like pushing me down to the ground and but that that never happened at some point his hand slipped and and I detail this and again in the early chapters of the book, but there was this there was this internal mental struggle. Do I scream and he slips my throat or do I not scream and, you know, he, he, he has me. And uh, I think everyone's had those nightmares where you scream and nothing comes out. And uh, I feared that would happen, but that's not what happened at all. I, I, I screamed bloody murder uh other people in the area heard me and uh and then the the internal mental struggle i felt in my assailant because his body was pressed next to mine i could almost i could just telepathically feel his struggle of what do i do do i run do i cut her do i drag her with me and, uh, and he just pushed me to the ground and, and, and ran. And so uh, I was not raped. It was an attempted rape. He was charged with attempted rape, false imprisonment, and assault with a deadly weapon.
1: How scary. <clears throat> and, you know, um, <clears throat> unfortunately i can relate um to the dilemma that you went through and i discussed this in my book cliff edge road um but i was the victim of a home invasion rape and i had the same situation Mm. knife at my throat what do i do you know if i yell if i scream nobody was around um you know nobody would hear me and he'd cut my throat so do i comply and that's what I did, and I used um, psychology on them, and I made it as calm as possible. But um, but I understand that dilemma, and you don't really know mm-hmm. what you'll do until something like that happens. It's it's yeah. not something you can decide ahead of time. It's just a momentary mm-hmm. thing. Now, <clears throat> as a um, as a campus cop, sort of. Were you mm-hmm. taught any kind of um, physical, how to how to fight or anything like that?
0: Uh, no, uh, we didn't have uh, any formal training in terms of even so much as self defense, mm-hmm. and we did have training in terms of proper uh, procedure on the radio. Uh, we had training. Uh, in terms of how to look at people and assess people, and so for example, if you are uh, speaking on on the radio and you're describing a suspect in flight, for example, uh, you, you know your 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 biggest uh, descriptor is not going to be. Uh, a UC Berkeley sweatshirt, because that's going to describe 2,000 people in the area. Uh, your biggest descriptor is not going to be wearing a, a blue hat, uh, because it's really easy in flight for a suspect to chuck the hat, and then uh, that that totally uh, puts you off kilter. Uh, but it's but it but it is kind of it, it, you know it's, it's fascinating in in retrospect that we didn't have any of that physical training and we did have the, uh, the, you know, I, I guess the, the mental training about how to, how to look and assess that suspects, et cetera. Uh, and, uh, and ultimately that training in terms of how to describe a perpetrator, uh, helped helped me have my assailant stopped uh, and caught by the Berkeley Police Department
1: literally minutes after my assault. Wow. That's amazing. That is really, really fortunate that they were able to catch this person. <clears throat> yeah. Well, did he have um, a criminal record? He
0: didn't at the time, no.
1: Okay. You <clears throat> were his first attempt, and he failed, so... Good.
0: I I was. I was.
1: Good. Very good. Very good. But, you know, so after that, obviously you gave up your job. <laughs> I can't imagine I, I you didn't, would go back and and, <clears throat> and and patrol the the campus after that.
0: Well, that's the funny thing, um Randy, and that was a, a huge part of my Mental journey, um, and one of the things I did as a disservice to myself as someone trying to recover from such a traumatic event is that being in the uh, the you know arena of a law enforcement agency, you're supposed to act tough at all times, and Uh, And so that's what I did. People would ask how I was, and I'd say, It was nothing. I wasn't even hurt. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. That was my mantra. And I kept patrolling uh, for months afterwards, even though I was scared to death. It was, uh, you know, if I could go back and, you know, talk to that 19 year old girl and hold her in my arms, I would just say, You don't have to do this. You don't have to prove how tough you are. This is ridiculous. And yeah, eventually I did stop patrolling and I did some more administrative duties uh, within the department. And frankly, it bruised my ego even even more uh, to to stop doing that, to give in to my fear. Um, But it was you know it was the smartest thing to do.
1: Amazing. <clears throat> it's amazing, yeah. And, you know, and initially, um, in certain situations, I know um, for myself, I felt perfectly fine afterwards. I didn't think anything was wrong with me. Uh, you know, I had a different perspective, but mm, I survived it, and I was like, okay. You know, I had a little bit of fear about somebody breaking in to my apartment, but, you know, the rest of it, I sort of, it didn't even bother me. And then after a while, I realized, wait a minute, that's not normal. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. just not normal. Mm-hmm. So I can understand yeah. that, you know, that feeling of just persevering, pushing forward and going, okay, you know, uh, it happened, so what? But Yeah, and what, which what, is so unhealthy, you know? Right, right, exactly. It is. It's very unhealthy. So what, um, what did you start to feel that clued you in to the fact that, you were suffering from this trauma.
0: Well, uh, there were, there, you know, there was this menu of symptoms immediately afterwards. Uh, the most notable of which was the PTSD triggered by the sound of footsteps, because his footsteps running down the sidewalk uh, were the last thing I heard before I saw the knife in his hand and he grabbed me and so uh, the you know even the day after the assault I I was I was on campus and you know that's a little bit of a problem being triggered by the sound of footsteps when you're on a campus with 30,000 people and so I felt that immediately um, and that was... It, that was a problem. I was I you know, I was like a small child. I was afraid of the dark, which is a little bit of a problem when you're putting on a police uniform and patrolling in darkness. And um and then uh I was living alone. At the time, this was summertime. I was in summer school, and my roommate had gone home to Los Angeles. So I was living alone in this crappy apartment uh, with, you know, really, you know, anybody could just, like, press their finger through the glass and get inside. So I was afraid to be inside my apartment alone. So these are some, you know, these are basic Basic issues that when when you can't function in this way, you're going to have some serious problems, and mm-hmm. and I did.
1: And really, um, fourteen years. I, mean, I mean, thirty years after the assault, your life was crumbling. So did right. did you do any healing work prior to that, or you just kept pushing forward?
0: Um, For the most part, I just kept uh, pushing forward. And uh, I I do describe in the book uh, uh, (laughs) an unfortunate attempt uh, to see a therapist. I went to, uh, you know, I came from a working class family. We weren't the type of family who, you know, who would go see, you know, a shrink, and uh, that you know it was just it was just looked down upon, uh, but I was convinced by uh, one of the sergeants in the department that I should probably go see somebody, so I went to the uh, campus. Clinic, if you will, and the moment I walked in the door to this quote-unquote therapist, I realized that this was just some grad student, and he had no idea what he was doing. And I just basically balled my head off and watched him be mortified. And and then that it was and it was useless. And it was it was worse than useless. Um, and I I told myself, you know this, you know, what's, what's the point? I'm, you know, I'm in this alone. I'm just going to have to, I'm just going to have to power through this. And, uh, it wasn't until many, many years later that I found, uh, this was like during my criminal defense days, like in the, in the nineties, um, that I found, uh, a, a wonderful therapist and, uh, he helped me immensely. In fact, he's in the acknowledgments <laughs> of my book. Um, but uh, yeah, I, and you know, again, if I could go back and talk to that 19-year-old girl, um, I would. I would tell her, you know, talk to somebody. You need to talk to somebody. You need a therapist. And uh, uh, yeah.
1: Now, prior to all this happening, had you had aspirations to become an attorney? What, what um, trajectory were you on? Yeah, so, um, you know, I,
0: I worked in law enforcement. Um, I I was a psychology major, undergrad, but I was deciding I, – I was in that point of my college career, you know, a sophomore halfway through um, – where I was thinking, is that really what I want to do for a career? It's interesting to me, but is that what I want to do? And I was thinking about going to law school. And post-assault, I decided I definitely wanted to go to law school. And I wanted to become a prosecutor and put away bad guys. And uh, as you said in your introduction of me, uh, that's sort of my unique take on the world is that I have lived inside the criminal justice system from virtually every angle. I did work in law enforcement. I did work as a law clerk in a county district attorney's office. I worked for a federal judge whose docket was primarily criminal cases. Um, I uh, testified at trial against my attacker. And, of course, Uh, you know, super proud moment. I was almost charged with a felony myself. And uh, through twists and turns of fate, I did not become a prosecutor. I became a criminal defense lawyer defending people accused of crimes as heinous as the one committed against me. And that's something that a lot of people have a have trouble reconciling they don't no, people have difficulty understanding that trajectory and it's something that I do address directly in the book uh but it's it's it, you know it it's it, it's an it's an it's an interesting paradox
1: a very interesting one uh so while you were um you were seeing all these um aspects of the criminal justice system, what did you observe as far as um you know women's rights um about their bodies and 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 things like that sexual assault and rape and- what did you observe well, um
0: you know as a as a victim, and I put air quotes around that word in the in the system, uh, I, I I noticed a lot. And you have to keep in mind my assault occurred in 1984. Uh, my assailant's jury trial happened in 1985, and the system has changed a lot since then. Right. Um, uh, you know, there have been changes in the law to enhance victims' rights, and many DA's offices have a victim liaison office. Uh, but based on my experience, both as a lawyer and as a victim in the criminal justice system, I think there's still room for improvement. And, you know, when I, when I talk about this, you know, people always say, well, how? I mean, improve improve what? And And my answer is, Start with simple communication. Uh, Most victims don't have a clue what to expect from the system. And not knowing what the next steps are, that alone is incredibly anxiety-inducing. And I think that DAs have to view themselves as advocates for victims in the system. Wait, I'm losing
1: you. I'm losing you. (laughs) Are oh, you on okay. a cell
0: phone? Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. Can you hear me now? Randy?
1: I am so sorry. You know, I've been having trouble. I know there was a, a silence there. Are you there, Karen? huh. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm here.
1: I've been having I, trouble with my, with my, and I call on the landline because I thought it was more predictable, but my phones have been cutting me off, so I apologize to you and to my listeners. Okay. Um, so, you know, as someone who works, I, I personally work with uh, narcissistic abuse survivors. And um, within that category is parental alienation and the Court systems just do not understand emotional abuse and manipulation that 's what I see you know in the court system and um, and it 's an immense problem worldwide. Can you relate to that at all um,
0: I, I i can um, only only because from the prosecution side i think i think there's a tendency to have black and white thinking there's no gray areas in between and uh you know there's historically been the matter of you know needing the quote unquote perfect victim um and uh, perpetuating rape myths, like, you know, well, she didn't report this immediately, so she probably made it up. Uh, right. it, you know, they're, they're, that's just one of many rape myths. And so, um, uh, you know, the background from which a person has evolved, uh, you know, from uh, whether a narcissistic abuse survivor uh, uh, due to parental Manipulation or some other form of childhood trauma, I think people's nuances get overlooked, and I think that happens in terms of uh, defendants in the criminal justice system too. Yes, Um, right. You know, their their uh, uh, trauma is sometimes overlooked. Uh, so right. in that sense,
1: yes, I've had, I, I have yeah, can yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> yes, um, and yeah, and often in these situations, the perpetrator is seen as the victim and the victim, the perpetrator, it gets reversed in the court system and this is absolutely heartbreaking for people going through this. But anyway, I don't want to spend too much time on that. I just kind of wanted to hear your point of view. So having been criminally assaulted, What made you choose to become a criminal defense attorney? What was your thinking process?
0: Yeah, well, again, this is something that I address directly in the book within the full context of all of my life experiences. Uh, And when readers read my story, I think the rationale for this paradox becomes pretty clear And it was definitely an unexpected path, but it was one that I wouldn't change. And I'll never apologize for spending the first eight years of my legal career defending the rights of the poorest, most damaged, most underprivileged in our society. And those were 99% of my clients.
1: Oh, my. And –
0: frankly it's a large part of what makes my story so interesting the victim who goes on to become a prosecutor well that's kind of expected right that's not interesting that's the abc tuesday movie of the week but the <laughs> right. victim who right the victim who suffers this brutal assault who works in law enforcement who goes on to defend persons accused of crimes who's good at it, and who sees humanity even in our clients who have committed atrocious, violent acts, and a woman who finds her own voice in doing this work, that's a, that's a journey worth reading about. And uh, again, this, this paradox uh, it, 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 we as humans like nice, neat reconciliations. We crave uh, things to be, t- you know, tied up in a neat, tidy bow. But we're also, we human beings, we're messy. Um, uh, we, our, our trajectories don't always go as planned, and that was part of the reason that I wrote this book uh, was because. Uh, my trajectory, my career trajectory after having uh, the experiences I had as a victim in the criminal justice system, uh, uh, you know, are so, you know, seemingly paradoxical.
1: Hmm. Well, I can understand when you are, um, as a criminal defense attorney, when you are defending those who are underprivileged and who get – you know, abused and um, just mistreated in the in the criminal uh, justice system. So I can understand how that would be rewarding. Mm-hmm. So your body, your, your body, your book is called What a Body Remembers. And so um, the point of it, I imagine, is that, you know, it's what a body remembers that the mind tries to forget. So what did your Mm -hmm. body remember that your mind tried to forget? Well,
0: my body remembered the sound of footsteps and, uh, that, uh, to this, to this day, um, it's not, you know, it's, it's intermittent now, uh, but it still, it still happens at times. Uh, my body remembers the sound of footsteps and, uh, that's, um, you know, that's, that's still my trigger. And, you know, you're asking about the title of the book, and um, I, I, you know, I don't hold myself out as an authority on PTSD, uh, but in my personal experience, uh, PTSD is your body refusing to forget what your mind has worked so, so hard to push down. And in, in my experience, my experience has led me to believe that our bodies eventually
1: revolt
0: if our mind refuses to address trauma. And that's certainly what happened to me. Uh, as I told you previously, I lied to myself and everyone around me post assault insisting i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine and i did this even as my body in the form of panic attacks triggered by the sound of footsteps told
1: me otherwise okay um yeah it you know ptsd is so complicated and it's a difficult thing to work through. It can be worked through, but there are always going to be triggers, I believe you know always going to be mm-hmm. something yeah, and it does diminish but, and, in time if you yeah, if it, you work yeah. if you talk about your issues and work on them, you know it it will diminish in time. Um, what right. about your Absolutely. physical safety? What about feelings about your physical safety? well
0: it, it, again that that goes back to the, to the six steps trigger. Um, the, you know, my, my body will react involuntarily and you know, that reaction is my body telling me, you know, these, these footsteps behind you could be an attacker. There was an attacker there before, so there could be one again. And that's, You know, it's a very interesting phenomenon because uh, how many times in in this life have there been footsteps behind me where nothing bad happened? I mean, millions, uh, multiple millions, and there was just this one time, this one instance where the sound of footsteps correlated with a violent assault. And so, um, so, yeah, so in that sense, I mean, you know, again, I don't hold myself out as an expert in PTSD. I just, I've, I've just <laughs> experienced it. Um, but it is an interesting phenomena because like, you know, your body is, isn't listening to the logic uh, of your mind. Uh, the You know, your body is, is going into overload and it's judging what reaction is appropriate and that reaction is to experience terror and to demonstrate vigilance or even hypervigilance
1: and i i completely get that um yeah it's that is very very uh, frustrating and confusing most of the the people that I work with um, have complex PTSD, and the difference is that it's happened over an extended period of time. PTSD is when it's one assault, one issue, one witness. Um, but complex is when it's been years or months or whatever over a long period of time. And the frustration that they experience is that what they know intellectually is not what they are feeling emotionally and it's very mm-hmm. frustrating to bring the, to not be able to bring those things together. So, right. you know, I understand that you you you're using logic, you're trying to talk yourself out of this, you're you're understanding what happened, you're looking at it and yet your body is doing something completely different. So, how mm-hmm. did you rectify that? How did you how did you bring that together? Well, um, you know,
0: for for a long time um i i did uh you know as i shared uh i I had my first attempt at therapy it didn't go well, and i just uh you know just kind of white knuckled the experience and uh, you know later in life I did engage in therapy and I engaged in talk therapy i uh i uh, experienced uh, uh, I went to an EMDR therapist uh, which which was interesting, and then only very recently, I finally uh, started cognitive behavioral therapy, which I think is is seems like the way to go for for something like PTSD at least at least for me personally.
1: okay. Uh, you mentioned EMDR that's eye movement desensitization um, and is one of the recommended treatments for PTSD. Um, what was your experience like with that uh, it was
0: It was really surprising um, I loved my therapist and At the time, I was having just generalized panic attacks. It wasn't triggered by footsteps. And the panic attacks were brought on uh, by a time period uh, that I talk about in the book uh, where my marriage was crumbling, uh, my mother was slipping into dementia, we were suffering, we just suffered major major financial loss like losing everything uh this was post 2009 uh with you know the the recession and and then a few uh choice uh missteps financially and so totally unrelated to the assault my life felt like it was just falling apart and so then just these generalized panic attacks started and so that's when i went to emdr therapy and i expected you know when when, when we did when we did the sessions for it to bring up some some assault issues and it didn't um, it it brought up uh childhood issues and uh and issues with um just generalized anxiety and my mother's own anxiety and uh something i talk about in the book is is that anxiety and uh and the, my emdr therapist told me uh and i say this in the book and i hope i don't botch the Watch the phraseology because it's so perfect, uh but that when a mother holds her infant in her arms, she is transmitting to that infant her view of the world and uh so you know so we really uncovered some of my generalized anxiety issues that uh were um likely you know transmitted to me as a child by my mother because my mother uh had a very traumatic childhood and she and it made her uh she was a wonderful mother but she had uh understandably from what happened to her as a child uh extreme anxiety issues.
1: So if we want to look at this um, as a big picture, do you think that what happened to you brought you to the point where you would work on those fundamental issues that were impacting your life? It was, I, uh,
0: yes and Maybe, no. you, never mean, <laughs> Maybe right, you never thought about that. Right, right. Um, um, you know the the book is about you know that the subtitle to the book is a memoir of sexual assault and it's not and it's aftermath and so obviously that's that's the key tagline to the story but right. what i do in the book and you know writing the book was obviously very difficult but it was also uh, a key emotional excavation process is that I kind of had to, um, you know, and forgive the potty mouth, but own my own shit too. Right, uh, right. The, You know, uh, mm-hmm. the, that some of the issues that I was having 30 years post-assault uh, weren't necessarily all about the assault. They were about, right. you know, my issues that I hadn't dealt with. Right, and that was my point. Yeah, -hmm. yeah, yeah. and that's something that I'm, you know, I'm proud of myself for, for, for owning that in the book,
1: too. Yes, you should be proud of yourself because it's not easy to do that. Why is it important for women to share their stories of trauma?
0: I think... It's important because in sharing uh, just by virtue of sharing, I think there's a sense of unburdening and and it it not only helps you in your own process of healing by being heard, but it tells others, you know, again, you started the introduction with those, with those rain statistics. It tells others that they're not alone. And everyone's had this continuum of experiences um, of, of violence, of sexual assault, of incest, of horrible experiences. And, By speaking out, you not only unburden yourself, you unburden someone else potentially.
1: Um,
0: And I'll I'll share with you, it's very interesting. um, uh, When I was still living in in San Diego, uh, I I only recently moved uh, to D.C. But there was a, a woman in her 70s who lived down the hall from me. And she read my book immediately when it came out. And I just, you know, ran into her in the hall, and we were, we were uh, friends, acquaintances, obviously. And she told me, she's, she's literally in her 70s, and she had never told anyone before about how she had been sexually molested by one of her stepfathers. And, yeah, and it's like she felt safe sharing that with me because of having read my story. And, uh, you know, and it just like still just, it it just gives me shivers even sharing it now that that she had kept that inside of her for -hmm. her whole life and uh, everyone has has to process their their trauma differently and but it's just you know talking about trauma makes it easier to process and it gives other people permission to, to 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 process their own trauma that's my belief okay yeah
1: <clears throat> that makes sense <clears throat> did you ever face a rape victim in court with with a, your perpetrator uh i uh,
0: yes yes
1: or you're accused uh, i should say you're accused yes
0: right for my yeah my 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 client uh,
1: right mm-hmm. uh yes yes i did okay and what was that like for you uh
0: you know, it was it was uh, the opening scene of the book uh, starts with me as a defense attorney cross examining a victim uh, not of a sexual assault but of uh, of a of a violent uh, assault with a deadly weapon and uh, and it shows how I'm, I'm all in for my client. I, uh, you know, representing people accused of crimes uh, was my way of finding my voice. And as I said before, I paradoxically came to see the humanity in people accused of doing horrible things. But in this opening scene of the book. I don't pull any punches in the cross-examination of this woman, and yet there's something inside me screaming that I'm doing something, that I'm on the wrong side of things. And I push that voice down, and yet there's something inside me asking, is this woman feeling on cross-examination? The way you felt on cross examination, but again uh, you know it's important to note that I never pulled any punches in representing my clients mm.
1: did Did that leave you with residual guilt or not, or you just knew you were doing your job mm. and that was you were there to do a job?
0: I was there to do a job and right. uh, and uh I felt, I saw myself as fighting for people who had no voice, uh, and and this was my opportunity to have my own voice in doing this in doing this work. And that's the thing too that I address in the book uh, directly, uh, asking the question: How can a woman who identifies as a feminist do this job? and i won't i won't answer that question i answer those questions in in the book but uh but it's but it's you know it's very it, again that's why that's why my story is unique and why my story is interesting
1: yeah it is interesting i mean it's got me really thinking about this um you know how what that would feel like to be on the other side and um
0: uh-huh. cross
1: examining someone who's been assaulted in in such a traumatic way so yeah and i criminal defense attorneys are not uh revered in general so because because right. of these kind of things so you know c- you know it's you're very brave you're very strong and very brave to want to do this kind of work so um we're talking about your book, the body remembers, and this uh, this book is available. Where can we get this?
0: Oh well, thank you for asking Randy um, it's the book's available where wherever books are sold um, you can get it on uh, online from Barnes and Noble, online from Amazon, you can get it online from Indiebound. You can get it directly from the publisher, Rare Bird Books, uh, and it is available in in most independent in most independent bookstores as well. If you want to support your uh, local independent bookstore.
1: Oh, awesome. Congratulations on getting your book actually physically into a store. (laughs) That is a feat into itself. It's it's (laughs) out there,
0: yes, definitely. Yeah,
1: that's that's excellent. Good, good job. Um, Is there any message that you would like to leave us with?
0: Uh, Just if there are any uh, sexual assault victims, Survivors who are listening, uh, I uh, just want you to know that you're not alone. Uh, that I want to implore you to do the opposite of what I did, uh, which was insisting I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, um, and to ask for help and to. Be gentle with yourself and watch your self-talk and don't tell yourself like I told myself, I'm going crazy, I'm going crazy. Uh, Shift that self-talk to something more gentle that you're going through a traumatic event that you're processing, that you need help and uh, you're not always going to feel this way.
1: Great, great message. Thank you for that. Uh, do you have a website?
0: I do. It's uh, StefanoKaren. dot com.
1: Okay. Well, that's easy. S T E F A N O Stefano. dot com. Um, Stefano Perfect. Karen, yes. Stefano Karen. Yes. Yeah. Stefano Karen. Stefano Karen. Perfect. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for you know for for doing this. I mean, you wrote this book to really. Um, stand up and stand out and to wake other people up to ha- what happens I mean this is there's so many aspects of this that are valuable to us so um, thank you for sharing that I know it's not easy to write these kind of books it does bring up things I'm a writer and I have a few books out there so um, I know mm. what it takes to put a book together and the labor of love and, you know, and how you pour the, your truth into the words of these pages. So thank you for taking the time to do that and share that with us.
0: Well, thank you, Randy, and thank you for your work, and thank you for the work you do on this podcast.
1: Oh, it's, it's wonderful. It's very rewarding. Uh, And you've been an amazing guest. I appreciate it. So I know you're in D.C. I hope the weather's beautiful today, and uh, we're heading towards spring, or we may be in spring. But I hope you have a wonderful day and stay safe.
0: You too, Randy.
1: Thank you. Okay, goodbye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at at loveyourlifeatrandyfine.com. And if you go on to my website, randyfine.com, uh, I now have a shop, and there are there's a series of um, educational MP3s that you can download. So go to randyfine.com and go to shop and take a look at them. They're really interesting and very valuable, I believe. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randifine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.